At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is the Book Rob Podcast. I'm Jeff O'Neill. And I'm Rebecca Shinsky. And today we're catching up on the news from the world of books and reading. That's going to include Barack Obama's best favorite books of 2013, Iowa. 2013? <laughs> you hop in your time machine? It's not that far away. It's only a decade. <laughs> 2023, <laughs> I will book ban not getting enforced. You got an excerpt to talk about, best-selling books of the year. It's been a while since we've had a regular show. Rebecca, happy new. How, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here in 2024. We've got like cozy winter weather. I did some good reading and traveling over the holidays and feeling I'm feeling fresh. I am also excited to talk about what we read over the holidays because you told me you read a ton. So that's yeah, be I ended up reading like 23 books in December. Oh which for me is quite a bit. I think it's, <laughs> it's for anyone. Banana. It's quite a bit. <laughs> that um, is a higher number than I was expecting. And I was expecting a pretty high number. Yeah. So I, I you know, it, the winter settled in and it got dark and the tree was up and I had some time off and we didn't travel for the holidays and my daughter was sick for a while and you know just kind of feeling cruddy so we, we were sitting around and I read in the mornings and at night and in the middle and did a lot of it so we'll talk about some of the stuff <laughs> That's there great. Um, and we will talk about what's coming up with the podcast this is our second episode of the year thank you so much if you've listened to the it books of January already programming notes a plenty the by the time you're listening to this the winter draft preview will be live on patreon if this is your first season with us rebecca and i each draft a basket of 10 books um and the conceit has been for the general reader what will be the best basket books for the general reader it has become shamelessly pandering for votes (laughs) in which we are trying to guess which of the handful of books may actually tip the needle for a reader or listener pardon me to vote for us versus the other one. And it's, it's usually close by a few percentages in either direction as the yeah, votes come out. I think we're pretty true to the spirit of mixing up 10 books for the general reader, but we have definitely learned how to guess to variable levels of success about what people are going to vote for as well, because the Patreon members do get to vote on it. And we have the added layer of these have to be books that we are genuinely interested in reading. You can't draft something that you're not actually going to pick up. And so that also is an interesting Right, because you've read 100% of the books you've drafted. Do you want to swear on something to this? <laughs> oh, no, but it's the openness and intention, too. We can litigate that later. Could you possibly read? Well, like, I'm not going to draft the new Lee Bardugo, even though it would be a vote getter, because I don't really do Lee Bardugo, and everybody knows that. So it would be mm. like out of the spirit of the thing for me to pick the new Lee Bardugo. Well, if you want to fight with one hand behind your back, that's up to you. You know, that's, I can't help you there. We're all playing by the same rules here, and the rule is to win. So that's always a fun. That, actually, the first thing that we did as part of the Patreon coming up there, and we're trying to figure out the right mix of things, things that will be available to everyone that recording next week is our most anticipated book. So we're going to fillet 
the stake as many ways as we can of books of 2024 <laughs> and the winter and the spring because we did the it books that is about vibes and yes. you know prominence and interest this one is about the general reader and the third one is for us. So we found three ways to talk about books. There's some overlap between them, but not, yeah, not complete by any stretch. That show next week will be also a little something different from what we've done before, because the first half of the episode will be us talking, like the two right. of us talking about our picks. And then the other editors of Book Riot have all recorded segments talking about a few of their most anticipated picks. So you'll get to hear them on the back half of that episode as right. well. My principal contribution will be editing all that together, I think. Yes, it will. decided right now here. Speaking of things that are out and available now, the 2024 Read Harder Challenge. Book Riot's been doing this for 10 years. There's 24 tasks meant to expand your reading horizons and diversify your to-be-read list. So you can get book recommendations for each task, sign up for the Read Harder newsletter, keep you informed about other cool reading challenges, readathons, and more. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to sign up. There's a link in the short show notes, bookriot.com slash readharder. There's a community of passionate, like-minded readers in a supportive corner of the internet, let alone bookish. And Danica Ellis is spearheading that for us. Always a good time. I think with that, we'll do our first sponsor break. Some news dropped. Why don't you lead with a, a, a Rebecca... Shinsky special that you whipped up for us here that you, you, you put together. Yes. So Bonnie Jo Campbell has a new novel coming out next week on the 9th. So tomorrow, by the time y'all are hearing this, it's called The Waters. It's her first book in almost a decade. And it was just announced today as the January selection for the Today Show's Read with Jenna pick among that's among like the top four or five biggest things that can happen for a book. Bonnie Jo Campbell on my list of under celebrated authors. I really love her work. She wrote one of my favorite short stories of all time. I have read The Waters, and I, last night, told Bob, this is the book that Where the Crawdads Sing wanted to be. I thought I was being super original and clever, and then this morning I read basically the same comparison in the Read with Jenna Book Club announcement. <laughs> so, You know, I don't want to speak for Delia there. Owens. I think her bank account would suggest that <laughs> Where the Crawdads Sing is the book that Where the Crawdads Sing wanted to be. Well... Anyway, we have an excerpt, an exclusive excerpt, courtesy of her publisher, W. Norton, that's up on the site. We have a link to it in the show notes so you can read uh, a little excerpt from The Waters. And I'll just say, like, it's Bonnie Jo Campbell feels like a Southern Gothic writer, but she writes about the upper Midwest, usually about Michigan. So the publisher refers to it as rural noir, which I think is also an interesting Mm. and accurate comparison. It's a story where we don't really know what time it is about a family of women that live on like kind of a northern swampy island situation in Michigan. And the matriarch of this family is a healer, sort of a not magician, but people get that vibe like she's going to make you better with herbs and tinctures and stuff. Um, And she has raised three daughters. One of those daughters has had a child of her own uh, who becomes the center of the life of the book. Um, It has like beautiful passages about nature, beautiful, difficult passages about, you know, the real tension of life uh, in some rural places. And it's kind of the signal of Bonnie Jo Campbell's work to me, or one of the signals is that she really grapples with 
womanhood, with what it can feel like to be a woman in the world when a lot of the world is defined by male anger and violence and the rage that women develop. And somehow these books are beautiful and also about all of those things. So I think that, in addition to the nature writing, is where I was going when I was thinking about Mm. the Where the Crawdads Sing comparison and that this is the book that Where the Crawdads Sing wanted to be. Like That book is shaped by a character's both relationship with nature and also this desire for revenge um, about something that... Revenge for something was done to a female character. Um, The women in this book are kind of shaped by the same experiences, but Bonnie Jo Campbell is a much, much better writer. It's a beautiful book. Um, She stays one of my favorites, and I'm just so thrilled that Norton gave us that excerpt. So hope y'all will check that out, and you can join us uh, in our Bonnie Jo Campbell appreciation. Been a swamp forward reading uh, I've done Gator Country. We did Let Us Descend. There's some swamp action yeah, in there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know. It's, a, I guess, an underexplored Something's in the water. frontier, I guess. You know, it's like, you can survive there, but ain't no one going to follow you. So there's some... I know. Lots of I was thinking about you when I finished the book yesterday, because one of the young daughter character, the matriarch of the family, is like relieved that she's not super hot, because that the matriarch thinks will make her life a little bit easier. And okay, you're thinking because the, I'm not super hot. You're like, no, I, it's I, the I antithesis. Not yeah, oh, that's, okay. that's All right. yeah. yeah. This is the hot or not podcast edition. No, it's this character is sort of the antithesis of manic pixie swamp uh, girl. Swamp girl. Yes, that yeah. our former co-worker uh, <laughs> Jessica Woodbury coined in a now I'd say semi-immortal for me. Good reads for that. Yes. Yeah, I just think about tetanus and her dental situation over there <laughs> in where the crawdad sing. Uh, very cool to see that. I read the excerpt this morning. Very good. I. We Again, we've got a lot of places to put content now, so we're trying to put pins in future conversations. We're going to come back to this underrated author conversation. Yes, we are. McBride stepped into the light. Not that he was completely in the dark, but Heaven Earth Grocery Store, I mean, for someone who already had an Ethan Hawk-led adaptation and major Mm -hmm. awards, still kind of under the radar, he is now the radar. He is the radar. He's pinging actively um, to the Red October, I guess at Sonar, technically. I we may need some parameters because if you haven't written a book in ten years, I've I've got to do a little bit of user or pilot error on being underknown. There's some level you have to have a book out oh, so yes. often to qualify for. I, I mean, that's not to say you can't wish people read more about it, but like, hard to say someone's underknown if we pump one out. I guess 2013. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, um, I do think it's I do think it's relative. The undercelebratedness has to be relative to yes how some kind. yeah to production how much work is out there. Yeah, Bonnie Jo Campbell I think is undercelebrated for the kind of work that she mm. does. There are readers that would really appreciate her that I just don't think are finding her. But it's she's not producing nearly as many books as like you know McBride has been producing. So there are fewer opportunities for her to be celebrated. It's not in the realm of criminally under-celebrated yet, but she's kind of on my list of authors that yeah. I would like to see get more recognition and have a breakout moment. It's also... You know, I don't think accidental that this is a novel and a couple of her more recent previous books were short story collections. The 2013, 2015 ones were short story collections and those just get less yeah. readership yeah. in general. So I was glad to see her have a novel that's just by its own nature going to reach more people, but then also get this recognition from Read with Jenna and the Today Show. I hope a lot of folks who would not otherwise have picked this up or haven't heard of Bonnie Jo mm-hmm. Campbell are going to be introduced to that's a, a hell of this a, way. That's a hell of a get for her, for Norton. Yeah. Um, fascinated to see it seems like a wise pick from the reader i think so there's a lot to talk about i guess a subordinate distinction in the underrated would be which authors if they had three more books under their belt would have a higher profile 
That's a different way of thinking about a similar but distinct question. Similar but distinct question, the Jeff O'Neill story. (laughs) Hello and welcome. (laughs) Yeah, that reminds me of Underknown Things. This happened, this was released since we've last recorded uh, a regular Book Riot show, and I don't think I mentioned it on the It Books recording, so I'll, I'll do it here. On first edition, the most recent edition, episode of first edition, pardon me, I talked to Joshua Bodwell from Godin Publishers, hmm. who was behind the re-release of The Orchard by Dale Crockett Robertson. So I talked <laughs> to him about the process of what it means to bring a book back like that, and we, then we geeked out a little bit about The Orchard itself. But I didn't know much about the reprinting, how you go get the rights, the packaging, how this particular small publisher... Um, does this. They have a series called the Nonpareil series. There's some other really interesting people there. So the first edition show is going to get a little more nerdy now that the It Books has come over here. So I'm going to play around. But that's a real Jeff special is to talk to an acquiring editor about a reprint of a book that no one's heard of. So that's what you can expect as I try to ride the wave of social relevance over on first edition. (laughs) You know what? Let the nerd flag fly. It's a new year. Let's just do it. Yeah, like me, he stumbled across it. Uh, my story I've told before on the show was mm-hmm. I accidentally read it because I thought I was reading a different book called The Orchard. <laughs> he was in the sort of back of a Goodwill shop with his daughter, and she's messing around as one does with the young kids, sort of waiting for them to run out of interest and move on to the next place where you can uh, occupy their time for a few minutes, and just picked it off the shelf and started reading it like, what is this? So kind of a strange story. I also. Great serendipity. Um, yeah, there is an audiobook version coming. One thing, I actually did think of this in slightly more than passing when I first read it and saw that it was out of print and there was no audio or ebook. I was like, what would it take to acquire the audiobook rights and make an audiobook mm. of this particular book? So someone else is doing that. But go check that out. I really enjoyed talking to him over there. I guess by definition, once Obama picks your book for one of his best of the year, you are no longer <laughs> underknown. Well, I'm pretty sure that the good Lord Bird was on Barack Obama's faves, and James yeah. McBride stayed underknown to our minds. Instabuy. McBride's then. on Obama's Instabuy here. So this mm-hmm. came out, oh, a couple weeks ago, I guess at this point. Favorite books of 2023. We've talked about this particular person, this particular format, the lack of context, the lack of clarity. It's not even clarity, just how these books <laughs> Yeah, there's cross no his information. Desk. How these books get into his hands? How much does if on does he read them? Out of how many books are we drawing? How staged this is? Not staged. How curated? How performative? How buttoned up the Obamas are in general? All that's in the water here. I guess I am less cynical than some. I believe he's read all these books. Me too. If I have to bet, do I think he's put some of them on here for optics? I think if you're president of the United States. Your Bayesian prior should be yes, or have yeah. been. Um, I would be point. super interested in the list of books he loved that he did not feel like he could put on the public faves list. Yeah. And and I also could believe that they're synonymous. You know, I think for sure. some politicians, the public and private has collapsed into a singularity of I don't know who I am or who you think I am. But it feels like an Obama list. I guess I'm not sure what mm-hmm. to say about it. I have one you might know there's one thing on here I'm not happy at all to see, but other than that, I'm willing to talk about whatever you'd like to talk about. Oh, I was, you know, my top note is I would like Barack Obama to either read more books by women or consider that when he's making his list. There's yeah. a lot of books here, a lot of titles, and only a couple by women writers. Um, 
please pay attention to that, Barack. Three out of 12, something Uh, like that. But very glad that one of them was The Vaster Wilds by Lauren Groff and that Mm. Barack Obama is on the right side of history (laughs) with his opinion of that title. Well, we can, we're going to have to count that as like the balance to him, including the Paul Harding, I think. Look, the Paul Harding, again, I don't care for the book. I think there's many books that did things not, uh, you know, The Upper Country by Kai, Kai Thomas, I think, has done something similar but better, which is looking at a a marginal black community that's on the fringes and has a strange relationship to the rest. This is about a, a small community of black and mixed race people on the islands off Maine and what becomes of them based on a true story of a kind. I didn't think it was particularly accomplished. I thought it was fine. And there's a lot better than fine out there. I, I don't get it. I, I haven't read anything that's like makes the real good case for this. It's been on multiple lists, whatever. You don't have to, I don't have to agree <laughs> with everything. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the asshole here. I don't know. You could always work. It's it possible. That's your wilds. How to say Babylon continues to mm-hmm. glow up for our books of the year. Our eight books of the year. We talked about how to say Babylon and others. Not surprisingly, I think a not bad way to think about what we're trying to do with it books is like, which of these are going to appear on lists like this? Yeah, I think that's right. What's going to catch zeitgeist, public conversation? And Obama has come to be relatively predictable when he did his summer list. I even did a like anatomy of a Barack Obama faves list piece for us. But like if it's a year where James McBride has a book out, James McBride is going to be on the list. If there's a David Grant book, David Grant is going to be on the list. If there's an S.A. Cosby book, he's going to be on the list. And it's interesting to think about those kind of predictable categories, but also just the authors that you can see, as you were saying, are Obama's insta-buys. You know, and and I saw some chatter online because I made the mistake of wandering online. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. And, you know, there's a lot of holy of the uh, holier-than-thou people operating in the demissive mode, and they say, ah, this is very normy. you could have guessed this. I would charge that actually this is harder to, it looks in retrospect like it'd be easy to guess, but I think this is one of those things that if we started today, and maybe this is a fun exercise for us mm. to sort of follow the year. What do we got? We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 books. How many of them could we guess starting now? I think this is hard because there's another 15 books that you could at least that people would say, oh, that's the, you could easily pick that. Maybe there's 45, but there's not a McBride this year. Does Tommy Orange do that? I, if, it, if Tommy Orange Wandering Stars shows up at the end of the year, you'd be like, yes. But saying right now, I think it's way harder than people think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's I my think take on that. other than those established authors, it is way harder. And I don't think there's a deep formula to it. He's not like, no. we will do one thriller and a couple of memoirs. But this is clearly a person who reads across the spectrum of genre and category. Mm-hmm. Also, there's nothing wrong with it being a normie list. <laughs> Well, here's my other argument against that. Most people don't read books, let alone any literary fiction. So by definition, it cannot be a normie list. Right. Most people don't read books. Most people do not read super literary books, even when they read. And we don't, I mean, among the many things we don't know about this list is what Obama's goals are with it. Maybe he just wants to share the books that he likes. That's my baseline expectation. I don't think Barack Obama is... I agree. I don't don't think there's much more to it than that. ...is out here trying to be like, let me construct a list because there's a clamoring public waiting for my recommendations and that's how they're going to select what they read. I don't think he feels any responsibility about that. And I don't think that he should. It's not his job by really any stretch to construct a 
list of recommendations of anything with the goal of getting people to read more or getting them to read particular kinds of things. And his lists of favorite music of the year and favorite movies of the year are all also similarly a mix of like highbrow mainstream across genre. You know, like I looked at the list of Grammy nominees this year and I don't know basically any of those names of like new pop stars i looked at obama's list and i was like i know most of these like you've got like your dad is listening to stuff your dad is reading books america's dad is here like holding this to some kind of standard i also just don't think it's that consequential that it's even worth being upset about it being normie even if that were a thing to worry about who cares yeah i mean the best-selling book on this list is covenant of water right you know humanely possible i interviewed sarah bakewell that's you know a book about humanism that is not a normie pick. That's not even a yeah. dad book. That's, that's not a wager. nerd pick. That's yeah. a Jeff book. Literally, I mean, mm-hmm. literally, that's Yes, like, literally. <laughs> literally the kind of thing. I've read, I'm, I haven't counted this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I read eight. I read eight of these. So I'm not going to read yeah. Cosby because it's too, you totally warned me mm-hmm. off. Kids get stuff done to them. I, I don't read, the biggest area of non-overlap is like the history political current Yeah, event same. Stuff. I'm not going to read an 800-page Martin Luther King Jr. biography. I'm not reading The Kingdom, The Power, and The Glory. I did read Poverty by America mm-hmm. by Matthew Desmond, sort of a crossover appeal. Some People Need Killing. I don't think that's a kind of book. Chip War, that was maybe one I could get into. Nonfiction about chips, but that's geopolitical trade. I can see why he's interested in that. But I don't know. Like I, I challenge people to think, like, oh, this is so predictable. It's like, I don't know. There are so many books, and in this tier, there's a lot. Like, I would have been dead wrong on Jesmond Ward. I would have been dead mm-hmm. wrong on. I probably have dead. I probably have Jesmond Ward and Zadie Smith on this over The Maniac by Benjamin Labuta. Same, yeah. I yeah. would have guessed those. Have for fun sure. guessing that. I love Humanly Possible Sarah Bakewell, and I can totally see him reading that or liking that. But the chance of him reading that and knowing what it is, I, I just don't have any sense of that. I guess the Covenant of Water. The Oprah jumping up and down for that book, (laughs) maybe, you say. Is Cosby Mm -hmm. on there every year? I don't know. And the Paul Harding, that's a wild card. I would have picked something way above. So I I think this is much more difficult than people think it would be to pick what these are. Yeah, I think you can probably predict like three to five, especially if they're the authors he's he's returned to over time. But also I'm probably paying more attention to that than almost anybody who's ranting about it on Twitter that it's too normie. Yeah. Only two of the books, interesting, or I guess three, were on his summer reading list. So the back mm-hmm. half of the year, like we oh, said, yeah. and fall was, was, big. was completely jammed. Um, to say. I don't know, anything else to say? No, reading, I think that's about it. People clamoring it. for him to read more genre, to read more romance. Again, that's where we get into this. Is this an instrumental list? Is there an agenda here? Is he trying to be a move the needle on some kind of reading normalcy? I don't know. Don't read it. Read it. Those I, I'd, I'd care less about that myself. Read the books you yeah, want to read. Uh, same. Read a few more ladies wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for him here. There are plenty to choose from in this upmarket to literary mode. I'm trying to think. I guess we're going to do this. We're doing the drafts and everything. I'm trying to think of what jumps out to me as, you know, it'd be easy to guess that Knife by Salman Rushdie would be on there, but mm-hmm. also you could totally see it not being on there. I don't think yeah, it's, it's easy it has the all. feel of an Obama pick. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. No guarantees. Maybe what you do is pick 45, like here's the 45 that I think could be on there and what even percentage of those do you get? Right? I think it'd be, be interesting to do. to do. All right. 
moving right along. Talk to me about book bans. This is good news. This is good right? news. Yeah, okay. Tell it's me about cautiously this. optimistic. Yeah. Uh, so there was a law set to go into effect in Iowa on January 1st that would permit a wide swath of book bans across the state. But a district court judge named Stephen Locker on Friday, December 29th, called for an injunction on it. That doesn't mean that it won't ever be enforced, right. but it means that it cannot currently be enforced. There have to be hearings to examine the proposals of these laws. So for now, a bunch of challenged books remain on school shelves. I think the top note here is this is a continuing, a piece of the continuing story that the way that this fight is going to play out and the ways that it will be won are through litigation, through legal action that we're starting to see. And this was in response to a lawsuit that was filed against challenging this book ban. Uh, so happy to see some of this starting to pick up uh, that folks who have gone to court to challenge these book yeah. bans are now at the place where like judges are hearing the cases or they can at least look at it enough to say, we're not going to enforce this just yet. We need to take a closer look. I hope that um, these efforts continue to succeed. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit of the vibes that some of the tide may turn this year. Mm -hmm. Again, the election is a huge, it's yeah. one of the great understatements in the world to say an unknown variable, how about that could play out. But it feels like, you know, Moms for Liberty, people may not know this, has had a sex scandal rattle their ranks and has taken some of the wind out of those prejudice sails. And I don't know, it just feels like maybe it's not as urgent for, yeah. the, for the banners to get on it and maybe the, the cooler heads and the and more open-minded can prevail. I think that's right. This was a losing strategy for Republicans in the yeah, midterms. And, right. you know, I have to remember because I listen and read a lot of political stuff year round in all years. <laughs> I have to remember that most Americans are not doing that. Most folks are like not thinking about the primaries that are going to happen in the spring yet and really are not thinking about the presidential election that's set for the fall just yet. And I think as it becomes more mainstream knowledge, how widespread these book banning efforts are as just, you know, like more folks know that this is a thing that's going on and it's not just sort of you know wackadoos trying to win their local school board elections but we're really coming down to like big statewide and national elections this will continue to be a losing strategy so um, folks i think may continue to try to run on it i haven't seen the gop make a lot of yeah. changes uh, to their strategy but i'm not sure why they think that they're going to win on this kind of case this time when it hasn't been effective yet. And the more the public becomes aware of it, which there's no stage bigger in American politics than a presidential election year, the more I think we will see it start to slow down or start to see folks who are moderate in the middle of the road push back against the candidates that claim to represent them but want to do these very extreme things. Yep. Okay, let's do our second sponsor break here. I've been waiting with something like bated breath for Publishers Weekly, BookScan, to do the list of the 20 best-selling books of the year. It's the first week. I understand it's going to take a little while. But the UK did me a solid by the bookseller, which is the UK's basically version of Publishers Weekly. It's really good. If you like this kind of stuff, It's you got to pay for most of it. But the list of the 20 best-selling books of the year were in front of a paywall. Interesting to see from an American perspective what is and isn't crossed over. Mm -hmm. Boy, you think the U.S. list is white, by the way? Um, <laughs> tough stuff. Here, 
that's going to be the case with the U.S. list. I'm mm-hmm. telling you right now. Probably only if Covenant of the Water, maybe Covenant of the Water will crack the top 20, 25, maybe. Maybe. Well, with a million copies sold, I would think so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, because to make the UK best-selling list, you had, just, you had 205,000 copies, and we're like three times bigger. I, it probably will. Now that you say that out loud, I think it probably will. A bunch of Colleen Hoover here, but mm-hmm. down the list, it ends with us, was number, the, the highest ranking Colleen Hoover was number, number six. six. The newest one, it ends with us. And then a Two two versions of it <laughs> starts with us. I don't think I've ever seen that before. <laughs> I think there's a special edition and a paperback. The oh yeah, time. they have the same ISBN. That's interesting. That's very strange. And then the, the American stuff that is going to be familiar. Well, it's not American, but we're familiar on the list is the Spare is the number one best selling book mm-hmm. of the year over there. Seven hundred six, almost seven hundred seven thousand copies. Lessons in chemistry. On tomorrow, I can. I mean, vouch when I was over in London, I saw those two in the front of a lot of stores and they were packed mm-hmm. high and they looked, they had the same covers. Actually, the lessons in chemistry cover might have been a little bit different. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So those are familiar. I think for someone who's not in the know, and I really wasn't until, frankly, I one of the things I did that got me to my big reading December is I read the entire Thursday Murder Club series by Richard Osmond, which was fun oh. and delightful and really easy to get through. And I've recommended to several other people. And all four of those are on this list. And not only that, it's numbers two and four and 12 and 19. And they sell huge because everyone's like, spare? Okay, 707, that's a lot. But The Last Devil to Die, which isn't even the newest one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, it is. I'm sorry. Now I'm getting well confused because I read them back to back. That is the newest one. It sold 529. It's, that's not an order of magnitude. Very competitive. Fewer. It's very close. <laughs> Yeah, that's really close. Are those four the only four? Does this meet there, O'Neill's razor? Four. It does. Okay. Well, it and you could read them as standalones. I actually started with the fourth one because I it was out and I was like, I'm trying to get as many 2023 trials as I could. Yeah, I read that and I was like, oh, I'm going to read all of these now <laughs> and blew I've through been, them right there. I've been seeing the Last Devil to Die just showing up in a couple people's Instagrams, and yeah. I did not even realize it was the fourth book in a series. Yeah. And so the conceit here is a group of the English call them pensioners. We'd call them retirees here on this side of the Atlantic in the first book come together through weird circumstances to get together to help solve a a murder. And then the gang gets back together in books two, three, and four. It's fun. It's funnier than it has any right to be. Like it's not, you know, one of the great comic novels, but it has a it's one of those full Monty style shows. Like there's a bunch of these, right? Where it's like mm-hmm. older people getting together and they're being irreverent. Plus the vibes of only murders in the building. Like those two things. And I tell you, it That's works. a great you know vibe what? for the it's holiday moving. break, especially. Yeah, And you can fly through them. Anyway, it will now become, this will be the first of a thousand times you'll hear me recommend it over the next decade of um, moms, dads, and grads and holiday recommendation shows. I've already given two copies to people for birthdays and late Christmas gifts. So not surprised to see here. I, I don't think, I don't know if any of them will show up on the U.S. list, but I wouldn't be surprised if soon it, Osmond's an American household name because clearly he already is in the U.K. So that was my top note. And one of the reasons I want to put it here is Interesting, look yeah. at that. 
Any, I don't, I put this in late. Did you have a chance, anything else that jumped? There's some names no. I don't know here. Satsuma yeah. Comics by Bob Mortimer. I have no idea right. what that book is. Yeah, those are always interesting. That's a nice reminder that like there are whole literary things happening in other countries, yeah. even other English speaking countries that we just haven't ever heard of, have their own cultural things. I recognize that there were four mentions of Richard Osman here, but I hadn't done the like, oh, this must be a series. They go right. together, but dude's having a good year. It's also interesting that after Spare... Uh, and after The Last Devil to Die, it's Lessons in Chemistry and It Ends With Us, which are, you know, paperback fiction. Yes. They've been out for a couple of years that are continuing to cook. Seven um, Husbands tomorrow on and, number 20th, way down. Yeah, the Tomorrow and Tomorrow, continuing to cook. Uh, lessons in Chemistry may be helped along by the Apple adaptation. It doesn't seem like that went big enough to generate a bunch of book sales. Maybe it's just folks continuing to catch the the end of the long tail of Lessons in Chemistry being really popular, seeing the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo start to taper off and be number 20 instead of like five books by Taylor Jenkins Reid as the top yeah. in the top 20 and also Colleen Hoover moving down I didn't I don't know what the UK list looked like last year but the US list last year had a lot of Colleen Hoover clustered right at the top (laughs) and Colleen Hoover is either going to be off the list or much closer to the bottom uh, this time around yeah that would be an interesting game too the over under number of Hoover mentioned the top 20 US but or this one too will there be one probably it Mm -hmm. ends with us well I don't know it needs to do half of what it's doing right now in the UK and yeah, I don't know 12 what she's months, on her new book series. All right, 12 months from now, how many of these are romanticy titles? Is romanticy taking off in the UK too? I was going to say no fourth like wing. Here? I don't even know if it's out there. I have no hmm. idea. I, really, I, I, I thought the same thing. as like, where's fourth wing? I was like, wait, I don't know that it's been published in the UK. They had a hard enough time getting the right books. In That's the true. <laughs> you can't cross two oceans for spreadges. That's insane. <laughs> God. You're just really committed to saying spreadges on every episode now. It makes you so uncomfortable. It really it throws really you off does. the game. I should I just start it. the draft by just going whispering spreadges just like before we Please clap to get don't. started. Uh, uh, a name I don't know. Like this is always fun too because like there's two board with board of lunch. Pardon me by Nathan Anthony is on here twice. I don't know what this book is. Do you know what this book is? No, I no, okay. I don't know what this book is. And I wonder are those just two different editions they do have two different isbns in that case i'm looking Um, it up right now this is live this is what people like to listen to me googling can we like i think we need a rule while we're getting publishing season straightened out and awards eligibility straightened out can we get a ruling that if it's just multiple editions of the same book but the differences are just like which one has just add them together and which one doesn't right just count them as one thing this is a slow cooker cookbook that is wild (laughs) stuff in the year of our Lord, 2013. That's a joke. Uh, and two different editions two, of it. Two different editions of the same slow cooker. But, That's um, amazing. What's what are they doing point? over there in the UK? I, I mean, I know I mean, it's cold letting, and they're, dark they're, for they're a while. Let, you know what? They're, they're, they're reading Richard Osman. They don't can't be bothered. A lot of stew. They you get up in the morning. There. You put the chicken in the crock pot. Yeah, you read your books. Dinner's ready. Retirees solving murders in pawn shops. <laughs> Amazing stuff. That's at Summa Complex by Bob Mortimer. This is a... The winner of the Bollinger Everyman Woda House Prize for Comic Fiction in 2023. Mm. A Norris fiction in a debut whose surrealist humor sets it up. Do I need to read this book now? I feel like I kind of... Maybe. That's a lot of... That's a lot of copies for a paperback original... No, okay. I'm sorry. I'm just looking at the wrong tab here. Huh. Interesting. I look forward to your book report. How many pages are we talking about here? We're really burying the lead. 
can't be that big. Oh, it's pretty long. Interesting. So that's one I don't... You know, we learn something new every day here on the Book Riot Podcast. I would be surprised to see that particular slow cooker recipe. Let's see. Anything? I was going to mention one other... I guess it was the Taylor Jenkins read, just mm-hmm. holding on there. As seem, And I don't know, maybe the UK TikTok thing is different, but there's not as many as... I maybe thought, though yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know less than the chemistries like, in Tomorrow and Tomorrow, how much those are social vid now. Right. Like, know. by the global nature of social media, and especially TikTok, I had just assumed that romanticy had hit there yeah. as well. We'll have to do a little digging. Brittany at number 13 there as well. So all right, Brittany. care about that as well. Okay. How are we on the agenda? Now I've got tabs all over the place. Oh, <laughs> we're going to do Hulu. We're doing follow-up at the in the middle of yeah. the episode. This is weird. Well, go for it. Yeah, a little. I, I think I just was like throwing stuff in the agenda. Yeah, we're back totally from fine. a holiday break. Who knows? But as it's kind of newsy because we were speculating last week about what's going on with Sarah J. Moss. Is there oh, going to be a big adaptation? Yeah. And you said out loud you know, that you thought you had seen something, but what's going on there? Uh, so one of our Wheelhouse members over on Patreon, Rachel... Let us know that Hulu is adapting Court of Thorns and Roses. And that I did a little Googling. The latest info as of like November 2023 is that they are making progress on writing it, but there's no casting information yet. So definitely it's not being shot yet. There's no release date. Given that 2024 has already started, I think the best guess is that the show comes out in 2025 or later. Does um, it come out? We're writing. Does it come out? No, right. I'm serious. Like we're, <laughs> no, I agree. We, like, I don't know if there's budget is for it, this stuff anymore. And is it even still, even if there's budget to pay for it, are you going to bank on what was a big trend of 2022 and 2023 still being sticky enough to bring in viewers in 2025? Yeah. And... Even something like this seems to be doing pretty well. And my household has been popular. And then I've seen in the wider world of my kids, the Percy Jackson adaptation on Mm -hmm. Disney Plus right now, which is also on Hulu. Very confusing about how this stuff is supposed to go. Seems expensive. Are they getting their bang for the buck? I don't know. I would be extraordinarily reticent to write a, what surely would need to be a nine figure challenge, at at least for this kind of, like, Things are bombing, man. Like the DC, Marvel stuff, DC stuff. It's hard out there for these giant franchises to get any purchase whatsoever. My my guess right now is this does not come out. I think that is a good guess. doesn't come out. Now, if they cast it, then I'm wrong. I think generally once these things get cast, but for it to be this late in the game and the adaptation gold rush and for something this big, especially when... Are you going to try to get out of in front of the Harry Potter HBO well, thing? Are you going to try to get also, out in front of Fourth Wing? That's it. Fourth Wing is the one that I was yeah. about to say. Like they are moving on the Fourth Wing adaptation, and so if the Fourth Wing adaptation comes out before the Court of Thorns mm-hmm. and Roses adaptation, it will have been the first. If it's any good, it's going to be the one that every other romantic adaptation has to compete with. Like it'll be the Game of Thrones of the space if it's a yeah, good if it's adaptation. Good, it's bad for the Moss adaptation. If it's bad, like, right? <laughs> There's no winning here. There's really right. no winning there if you're not first out of the gate. In these different kinds of times where companies are actually trying to make money out of these large-scale adaptations. Also, by the way, premium content subscribers, Patreon subscribers, can. there's an always open mailbag over there, and we're going to have sort of an ongoing recommendation request bucket that you can throw stuff into and write us in, and we'll take them as they come and try to group them up and do them from time to time. We'll do big pushes as in our semi-annual yeah. ones too, but we thought we could keep this up because people have birthdays and other kinds of stuff that happen through the course 
of the year. What we read over the holidays. Okay, why don't you, anything you want to, I'm not even sure <laughs> yeah, how to approach mine at right. this point. It's not mm-hmm. 23 books over here, so mine's yeah. a little bit easier to narrow down. <laughs> not a new book at all. I think one of the older books I read last year, but I closed out my travel reading Erasure by per- Percival Everett, yeah, which you did. the American fiction movie is an adaptation of. Oh my God. <laughs> it's <laughs> It is so good. It is so good. If you are unfamiliar or you haven't seen the trailer for American Fiction, it's about a black writer, a black novelist who writes on the more academic end of things and hasn't really been successful. He is watching, and bear in mind, it's 2001 at the time, Mm -hmm. but this is still very relevant today. He's watching the success of a couple of books about black people by black authors that are pitched to the black audience, but that are, that really play on stereotypes. And he watched them, watches them get selected for like the fictional version of Oprah. And he writes what he thinks is a satire of this mocking the the whole thing of like this one dimensional presentation of black life his agent loves it his publisher loves it he gets a floppity jillion dollars for it uh it it gets published under a pseudonym uh, like shenanigans ensue (laughs) it is it's so sharp and so funny and such an indictment of the publishing industry and the way that we approach or fail to approach really understanding the breadth of experience, not presenting any group of people as a monolith. I'm like very mad that I have worked in publishing for 15 years. <laughs> so and I had time. So yeah, crazy so, ahead of its and time. it's bonkers that you could have published like if you put it out today with a 2023, 2024 copyright on it, I would 100% believe yeah. that it was a brand new book. Like the other black girl and yellow face have some DNA that they owe to er- this book. Better. It's better. Oh, 100%. Three notches at least. It's incredible. It's incredible. And I don't know if R.F. Kwong and if Zakia Delilah Harris, if they had read this or not, but like it is an ancestor to those kinds of books that satirize the way that publishing handles. I can believe they didn't. It's race. old enough. I mean, it it's, would be totally reasonable yeah, that they didn't totally, know like, about it. Actually. Right. I've been doing this for 15 years yeah. and I did not know about this book until the adaptation came out, which, you know, I think probably smart to rebrand it. They have not done a paperback version with the movie art on it yet, which is interesting, but also seems like this seems very perfect for the fact that like the book is about what it's about the erasure of multiplicities of black life and how flattened the presentation of that is in publishing and that nobody has talked about this book in the entire time that I've been, you know, professionally reading books or paying attention to them. <laughs> It was great. I loved it. Just like reads like a house on fire. I think we're going to do some adaptation nation stuff around it when American fiction comes out on streaming and is more widely available later in the spring. So stay tuned for that. In newer stuff, I read North Woods by Daniel Mason. Holy cow. So good. It was so good. And I'll just steal. Did I say something to you about You mentioned... Yeah, you mentioned that you had read it and that you loved it and that like tipped me over into like, okay, I'm actually going to go for that. Um, our friend Josh Christie of uh, Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, I was telling him about it and I'll just steal his line because it's good. He was like, it's the kind of novel that reminds you how expansive and interesting novels can be. Yeah. It's a moment of like, oh, a book can do that. Um, I won't even try to sum it up. It's wonderful. And then I read Winter Solstice by Nina McLaughlin, which is a really t- short little collection of essays kind of about winter and this dark time of the year. 
She had one a few years ago about the summer solstice. It was equally lovely. And I read Wreck the Halls by Tessa Bailey, which is a holiday romance that was steamy and ridiculous in exactly the ways you want a holiday romance to be. Read a couple other little things, but those are the ones worth mentioning. But holy cats, erasure, friends. Erasure, yeah. Get yourself (laughs) on that. Yeah. If you listen to this podcast and you care about the kinds of things that we care about, just go read Erasure. Come hang out in our book club. that Everett would have probably even before McBride because McBride did have a big adaptation would have been mm-hmm. I have to think about it more but The Trees Dr. No this book I've only read a few I think those I think I've read one more he's like 14 books there's yeah, a lot of Everett there's out. a ton and he does different things he's kind of Colson Whitehead in, in that way like I've read Half we an Inch of Water which is a conversation co- about that comparison at some point because yeah, in he a plays certain with- light I hadn't anyway yeah, he plays with genre. He does a different thing in every book. He's weirder. Um, he's weirder. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He is weirder, which I think is probably why he's less widely read. Probably. Weirder is less accessible. But the ones of his, I've read Half an Inch of Water, which is a collection of short stories set in the American West. That's a good one. I've read a couple others. They, they're all different. They're all good. I'm never sad that I no. spent a couple of hours with Percival Everett, like, friends. Get on Erasure. Let's see. My my reading was mostly mop, mopping up, trying to get to as many of the things that, as I think we talked about on one show. Like once its mm-hmm. calendar turns to 2024, even a little bit before, I am ready f- to start reading what's coming out, like getting my 2024 yeah. game on. So I was like, okay, this is going to be my last gasp probably to get to some of these ever. So outside of the Thursday Murder Club series, I wasn't really picking just because of pleasure, but stuff I wanted to get to. Northwoods was a standout. So good. Again, it's a a series. I wrote about it in Today in Books, but it follows this piece of land in western Massachusetts, I guess, or somewhere in Massachusetts, over the course of basically colonial era to close to the present day. And these interlinking chains of ownership and aspiration and claiming and stealing and neglect. And then each section moves between genre and form. It could be a letter, it could be a song, it could be a remembrance, it could be a speech that maybe someone was giving to themselves in a mirror that you didn't know until halfway through the speech. <laughs> it was actually just someone alone sort of in their underwear Great wishing chapter. they could give a speech. Great chapter. Beautiful and strange. Mason is a psychiatrist at Stanford. Um, we'll have to throw his name into the mix for the most interesting person in the world, I think, at this point. I knew nothing about Mason and it really got me thinking, I want to look at that back catalog too. I did The Bee Sting, and I did yes. Burnham Wood, and I mm-hmm. did The Prof- Prophet Song by Paul Lynch. So I got some of the big okay. books out there uh, in the Commonwealth. Of the three... You know I want to hear about Burnham Wood and The Bee Burnham Sting. Wood, I like them both. I think they both have really fantastic ending, and they both could have been 100 pages shorter. Valid. Those yeah. are long books. Those are very long books. And I don't say that as one who is just, uh, maybe I'm grouchy about long books now because I, I start tapping my foot. It's like I could be moving on to something else now. I think in both cases, it would have helped the books to be shorter. But having said that, they were both very good. Prophet Song by Paul Lynch. So this is set in a very near future Ireland in which the forces of the right become ascendant. It follow, It's from the perspective of a woman whose husband is involved in labor organizing hmm. and her family gets involved and it's very much in the spirit of, it's not quite children of men where it's that dystopian sci-fi, but you're looking as a, 
I guess, a side character, a bystander at this huge tumult and how quickly it happens, how powerless people are, and how plausible it seems. And it's written in this very stream of, it's almost stream of consciousness. I'm not sure that it quite is. It would fit that definition because I don't know it's, you know, everything that's going on in her head. But it's written in these long sentences, long paragraphs, not a lot of punctuation, not a lot of breath. It sort of keeps the river moving. So you feel like you're being swept in it. You don't get a chance to catch your breath. You don't get a pause. You don't get a chapter break. And it's gets you, it gets you swept up in it. I don't know. I think both that style I'm used to and this idea of things could go bad I'm used to, do those two things together add up enough to be really remarkable to me hmm. to win the booker? I'm not sure. On the other hand, I was swept up in it, and I'll remember it for a long time. So you could do worse okay. by my count than that. Memorable is not the worst. I read Temple Folk by Leah B. Bilal, which was on a lot of these end-of-year lists, a short story collection. That's her debut. The stories are mostly about leaving the Nation of Islam or coming back to it. The main characters mm. are, have, have frayed relationships to people that are members of the Nations of Islam. I thought it was fantastic. I think mostly there are more vignettes more than stories. There's not a lot of tension or plot. It's more... Mm. I'm back here. This happened. Here's a scene. I think the first one is especially good. It's this group of women that are members of the Nation of Islam on a bus ride to go see. I think they're on the way to go see Elijah Muhammad, and they get the news that he dies. So this figure that is central to their worldview suddenly goes away. And that that fall kind of informs the rest of it. Not that particular what happens in the Nation of Islam when Elijah Muhammad dies, but also is there a certain disenchantment of certain people not meeting the promise, being disillusioned. Pretty amazing. Yadon Israel at Simon & Schuster, I interviewed for first edition, was editor of that book. So I was doubly pleased to see it do well. I did get to, boy, at the end, I really did a nice job, if I do say so. I got to The Poll by J.M. Kutzier. I got to Airplane <laughs> nice. Mode. I got to Small okay. Mercies by Dennis Lehane. I got to The Wren by Ann Enright. I got to absolutely... Oh. What do you want me to talk about? What are you most interested in? I don't want to bore I you. I want to hear over. about the Wren, the Wren, because that was a real surprise. That's too, I have the no least to say about that. <laughs> okay. It was slight, and it was right in the middle of a couple of other ones. I kind of went in one ear and out the other, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I'm okay. not sure. I don't... It was beautiful in its own way, but it kind of felt like I was reading it in you know, a twilight or gloaming mode of like just waking mm. up or just going to sleep. It really flowed through me. It's, you know, mothers and daughters, and sometimes things don't go well. It was a more elliptical version of, I felt like it had a lot of similarities with the daughter's story in Beasting. Like, it felt Mm, like there was something related. This this was done much more, almost a Marilyn Robinson housekeeping mode to some degree. So it wasn't bad. It's just, it didn't really, it kind of just went in one ear and what the other, like I said before, didn't grab on a lot. Dennis Lehane is a champ. I don't know what to say. One one category I had that came up, and maybe it's because I read Absolution by Alice McDermott and Small Mercies Back to Back, is 2023 characters that are made to be played by someone to win an Oscar. And both oh, Absolution and Small mm-hmm. Mercies have a female lead. I'll have Jessica Chastain play both. I'm not picky. Whichever Great. She can pick whichever one she wants. <laughs> In Small Mercies, it's a someone. It's a woman. It's said in the seventies in South Boston. I know you're shocked if you know anything about Dennis Lane. <laughs> Stay in your Lane, I guess is what you would say here. And her daughter goes missing, and the powers that be, both official and unofficial, have reasons not to care that much. And mm. she goes John Wick. Um, Interesting. 
And someone could really make a meal out of that particular role, which is fascinating. Absolution by Alice McDermott. This was so, I was so pleased to have some something, such an interesting little puzzle of a book to end on. So this is set amongst the officers' wives, not even officers, of the wives of those involved in the military industrial complex in Vietnam, especially the early days, mm. like 1963 to 1965 in Saigon, when it was a police action, but not sort of the, I don't know, born of Fourth of July mess that we've come to understand Vietnam to be. These are people that are the idealistic, you know, we're here to help, whatever. And the relationships among the women here, the main character, the, the woman who you see who's the narrator is the main character, but the most interesting character is this woman she becomes friends with named Charlene, who's this mover and shaker. And she's like, getting people to make Barbie doll outfits so she can sell them to help a leper colony, but also she's dealing drugs on the side to help (laughs) women get through the day. A real, like, complicated... She's using what avenue she has to have her own life and have her own power. And it really triggered for me one of the things that I think I, and I think you two bump up again with the little lessons in chemistry and others is like, Mm -hmm. it's sort of a fantasy of 60s women's empowerment. Like if we have to make up this character. And this is, I think this is a made up character too. I read the acknowledgements. I'm not sure where this character comes from, but it seems like a more plausible version of like what someone who is a talented woman who is boxed in, where would she find space for herself? Mm -hmm. And what lines would she cross? Quote unquote, I'm using lines here, right? These are lines that are set up for her, but also what will she then do? How will this become meaningful? What will happen? And she's like not quite the main character, but that role was extremely, that character was extremely interesting. I was thinking in terms of the lessons in chemistry in Queen's Gambit, I think are related kinds of stories where it's like, let's imagine this alternate past where this woman gets this, has the opportunity to shine in a way that was very difficult And I kind of thought of this as not an antidote to that, but McDermott's exploring, like, there's real lives. There's these smaller Mm -hmm. embedded kinds of lives. And maybe both is okay, but I guess I responded more to this than some of even though I love Queen's Gambit. And I enjoyed Lessons in Chemistry, too. But this one I really responded to, this character especially. So I'm going to keep an eye out in my 2024 reading for what roles would make for just a best supporting actress, best supporting actor, both of these would just do gangbusters. Kate Winslet roughing up Irish mobsters. Yes, let's go. Let's absolutely <laughs> Great. Go. Rosamund Pike yeah, dri- dealing quaaludes out of the back of a Jeep in Saigon in 1964. It. Let's go. Can we get Claire Danes another excuse to do like her great hysterical I, I guess, yeah, that's scream right. cry? Yeah, both of these are more controlled than that. It is very much a Charlene is very much a sister to Gone Girl. In terms of like Interesting. using perception as part of the toolkit. Yeah. So there we go. And the poll by Jam Coates, I said I mentioned that, you know, a, a 200 page European novel about a kind of weirdo, creepy, but beautiful and doomed and also creepy love affair. <laughs> I'm into it. Let's Great. go. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> a lot of variety happening over there. I think that's enough. I love me. to hear it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's a good All start right. to the year. I good know. I, and, and I've read one book this year so far. I kind of powder petered out i need to really get moving on the stormy made and some other stuff coming on Jan- early january gives me a bit of a breather i can catch my breath here a little bit before we really oh yeah same it's much slower okay well that's our show you can find links at bookriot.com slash listen you can check out the patreon patreon.com slash podcast read harder challenge first edition all sorts of stuff going on there all the links 
are available there. You can choose the email, podcast at bookriot.com. If you've got feedback, ideas, context, other things there, Rebecca will talk to you real soon. 